0: Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to The Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen.
1: And he will never be in our debt. Every blessing we have from him is because he's good, not because we've been good. And and that's why he blesses us even when we're not good. And most of us should be able to say, thank you for that, Lord. Because if he waited for us to do right, to do good to us, well, there'd be a lot of gaps between the last thing he did and the next thing he does.
0: Today's broadcast, we are looking at the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, verses 21 through 36. In Pastor Sam's message entitled The Faith God Rewards, we look at two miracles performed by our Lord: the healing of a woman and the resurrection of a little girl who had died. Let's
1: listen in. Mark 5:21 through 43, The Faith God Rewards. We read in verse 21, Now, when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death, come And lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. So Jesus went with him and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Jairus means Yahweh enlightens. He who Yahweh enlightens. So here's someone. He's a synagogue ruler. That means he takes care of the business and the gatherings of the Jews to hear the word of God and discuss the word of God. And and, uh, he finds himself in a desperate situation. He comes to the Lord. He has a little daughter. Twelve years old. She's dying and near death. At the point of death. And I want you to note with me the things he did, the things he said, and the things he thought. Because, well, all of those will be important to us today. The first, what he did, he fell at Jesus' feet and he begged him earnestly. His posture, his position is one of worship. In fact, Matthew tells us that he he was at Jesus' feet worshiping him. Mark just says he, he fell at his feet. So he gives us the posture. He gives us the position. But Matthew gives us The explanation he begged him earnestly this is important there's no sense of entitlement there's no sense of hey I'm serving the Lord so he certainly owes me or should be watching out for me and sometimes we can mistake uh, our faithfulness for for putting God in our debt somehow and he will never be in our debt every blessing we have from him is because he's good not because we've been good. And, and that's why he blesses us even when we're not good. And most of us should be able to say, thank you for that, Lord. Because if he waited for us to do right, to do good to us, well, there'd be a lot of gaps between the last thing he did and the next thing he does. Well, he falls at Jesus' feet. He begs him earnestly. Begging, that suggests humility. Earnestly, it's that passionate persevering in prayer. The, the sense in the tense is that he kept on pleading with him, Lord, please come. Come to my home. My daughter is dying. Please come. Lay your hands on her. And so that's uh, the first of the two things he, he says to do. Come, he says, and lay your hands on her. His hope and prayer was that she would be healed, whole, saved, delivered, And that she would live. Now, come lay your hands on her. It's two things. Neither of them were necessary for Jesus to heal this little girl. But the father doesn't realize that. And Jesus doesn't ever explain to someone why that's not going to be necessary. When the centurion comes to him and, and says, I've got a servant and, and and he's near death and and, you know, he's deathly ill as well. And please come and And, you know, oh, Jesus immediately says, well, I'll come and and heal him. And he says, oh, no, you, you don't need to come to my place. He goes, I'm a man under authority and I exercise authority. I say to this one, come and that one go. He says, you can just say the word and my servant will be healed. Jesus' response to that is important to us today. He says, I have not found such faith, not in all of Israel. In other words, this Roman soldier somehow concluded that Jesus was able to do what no one had yet seen him do. This father's faith isn't quite there, but it's important for us to see and understand that that imperfect faith is still rewarded by the Lord. And we'll see why this man has his faith rewarded. He fell at his feet. He begged him earnestly, come lay your hands on her. His hope and prayer that she may be healed, that she will live. That's real faith and confidence in him. He thinks Jesus needs to come. He thinks Jesus needs to touch her. But he believes if he does those things that she'll be healed and that she will live. So he knows what Jesus can do. He's just not sure about the process. He didn't just believe something. Take note of this. It's so important. He believed in someone. He didn't just have faith. He had faith in Jesus. The only one who could actually help him in this situation. His faith, like ours, was imperfect, was limited by what he thought was necessary for her to be healed. But faith in Jesus was and is and will always be the key. It's the object of our faith that makes the greatest difference. It's not how great is my faith, but how great and gracious is the God I'm petitioning as I bring my needs to him and the needs of others. In this case, he's petitioning for another, but his heart is knit together with that little girl. So, so important to see it that I don't need more faith. I just need to make sure my faith is in Jesus. I don't need extravagant amazing more faith than anybody else I just need to put my faith in the God who is faithful and gracious and wanting and willing to help us well Jesus went with him I love that a great multitude following pressing in trying to get closer to him and without warning and interruption A potentially disastrous delay. Why? The daughter is at the point, he said, of death. Turns out that's true. She is about to die. And the delay would not have set well with this father. So another person in crisis is introduced to us. And we read a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years. Now, listen, bleeding for 12 years is a serious issue. It would have had all sorts of ramifications in every possible way. Physically, it would have left her anemic and weak and and, and stressed. Spiritually, even worse, because she, like a leper, would have been alienated from the community of believers. You see, someone who was bleeding, someone who was hemorrhaging like that, well, she would have been considered unclean. That word simply means unfit for worship, unfit for fellowship, unfit for service. And so those who wouldn't go near a leper, those who wouldn't go near the demon possessed guy earlier in the chapter would not go near her either. So there's a spiritual implication because she can't come and hang out with everybody and study with them. There's a social implication because there's no fellowship unless you're a part of the spiritual community in that day. And so she's in desperate straits. 12 years of alienation suffering there was another issue the Jews had this idea that if you were blessed it's because you were good and if you were suffering it's because you were bad now they didn't just think that up it was in their law I'll bless you if you obey and I will curse you or discipline you if you disobey it's in their law So when Job was suffering and he suffered pre-law, I mean, he wasn't in school pre-law, but he suffered before the law was given. Job's friends, that's what they're first called. Later, they're called miserable comforters. I wouldn't really be looking for any of those. I think this is where that phrase came from with friends like these who needs enemies. But Job's friends came and rather than well, they comforted him at first. If you read the story, even the first few chapters, when they first came, they just sat silently with him, weeping alongside of him. And that brought him, no doubt, real comfort just to have somebody who cares for you, has compassion on you, is willing to be near you in the time of your suffering that really does bring comfort. But then they open their mouths and one by one tag teaming, not just once, twice, thrice. They continued over, over and over. I love that word thrice. Never heard it till John Kerry, but it's just a cool word. But uh, anyway, over and over, they tag team. And the general gist of their communication to him is, listen, we know God does not afflict the righteous. I want to say the only truly righteous man was afflicted more than anyone else. And if you're like, yes, but that's at the hand of the Romans and handed over by the Jews who hated him. Yes, but God allowed it. It was within the will of God. It was the perfect will of God that Jesus suffer as he did die for our sins, buried and risen again. So the idea that God doesn't afflict the righteous or allow affliction Toward the righteous or on the righteous. That's just not reality. And so there are other implications we don't have time for today. The promises to Israel are much different than the promises to the church. I said we don't have time for them, but I'll give you just one. He said, if you do good, you'll probably be. Well, you will be persecuted. Why? Because the world doesn't like the light. The the light hurts the world's eyes and and messes with the things they love to do in the darkness and the things they used to keep secret. And so he said, in this world, you will have tribulation. In this world, there will be persecution. In this world, you will go through trials. All of that, not because you're not good, but because you're doing what's right. Right. Well, anyway, we press on for time's sake and and content's sake. Certain woman, flow of blood, a dozen years. And she had suffered, verse 26, many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. It's the first century Medicine hasn't really evolved at that point to where they knew what they were doing, what, what they were doing. Long after this, I mean, not that long ago in England, they were still bloodletting to help somebody who had a disease. They thought, we'll just let some of the blood out and maybe that will help. Turns out that was a bad idea. But all sorts of other things are tried experimentally and have always been. Now, in that day, one doctor would fail, she would go on to the next. And that doctor would fail, she'd go on to the next. Why? Desperate people turn to desperate measures. And she's desperate. A year, two years, five years, 10 years, 12 years of suffering. And what we read is that she suffered Not just the pain of her disease, whatever was causing this, but she suffered at the hands of those who she had entrusted herself to. There was no cure. Those who tried to help, they added to her suffering and they left her broke and broken and hopeless until... And here's the glory of this particular story. Oh, there's better ahead, but this is great. When she heard about Jesus, she heard about Jesus. And what's she hearing? Not that, well, you know, nobody in her situation that we're aware of had been healed by him, but people were being healed. And she's like, I got to get to him Just like that father who believed if he could get to Jesus and get Jesus to his daughter, his daughter would be healed. She believed. She had faith. And though there was nothing to base it on, except for she'd heard that he was healing people. So it says when she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd I picture her sneaking up on him. I'm not trying to to be weird by saying so. I just think the crowds are pressing and it's radical. She's got to fight her way through. But then as she gets closer, here's what we know to be true. It's against the law to touch Jesus. It's against the law to touch any of those people. But right now, she's not really worried about a minor infraction of the law She's worried about the possibility, the hope that she could be healed. So she fights her way through the crowd, bumping into all sorts of people who have no idea what just happened. And then she thinks and says to herself, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment, already touched on it. Maybe she thought, well, it's not actually touching him. It's just touching that which is touching him. So I'm not really breaking the law. Or maybe she just didn't care. Maybe she was just like a, I believe if I touch even something touching him, I will be healed. And that's what she's saying to herself. For she said, if only I may touch his clothing, I shall be made well. Just like Jairus, the little girl's father, her faith was imperfect, but her faith, just like his, was in Jesus. It wasn't, if I could just touch somebody, I'll be healed. No, it was if I can touch him, if I can touch that which is touching him, it's not just if I could make contact, but if I can make contact with him. So you see, it's all about him. And she believes, and it was true, he was her only hope. Her faith was in Jesus. And God rewards faith in his son. God rewards faith that's rightly placed, put the only place he intends it, to go well, immediately. It's a word that comes up a lot in Mark. It's his favorite word. He transitions again and again and again with it. Old King James was straightway immediately the fountain of her blood. That's a graphic picture, is it not? Because a fountain isn't just dripping, she had serious issues. The fountain of her blood was dried up. She felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. What no doctor could do, what no one else could offer hope at this point for 12 years of suffering ends in a moment. Her faith in him was rewarded, but she still afraid. And Jesus, verse 30, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? Now, I think Jesus knew who touched him. He knew a lot of things about a lot of people. I don't think it was so much I got to find out who that was, is she needs To testify to what's just happened. She needs to publicly witness to the fact that she knows she's healed. And you know, when we experience something from the Lord, those of us who give our life to the Lord, most of us have done that. That might happen for you today. If you came here to sort of check us out or check him out or both, you need to know he's for real and perfect. We're for real and very imperfect. Nevertheless, our faith is in him. He is our Lord, our Savior. He died for our sins, was buried and rose again. And the only difference in me and an unbeliever that has heard that message is I've responded to it by faith in him, received his forgiveness. So, so if you're not yet a Christian, you need to know this. If you give your life to the Lord, you want to tell people about that. And as Christians, because this happens every day, little things and big things come up. We pray, Lord, I know you care about these things. I know you care about my kids. I know you care about my health. I know you care about our finances. I know you care about our relationships. And Lord, I need help right here and I need it now. And I know you're the only one that can help when he answers those prayers. And we need to tell somebody. We don't have to tell everybody, but we should tell somebody. In this case, it's a public miracle, but no one in the crowd knows it's taken place. He's going to give her a chance to do something he wants everyone he's touched to do. And that's testify publicly of his grace and his mercy and his power to transform our lives. Well, the other issue is then she could be restored. She testified that she had been (laughs) cleansed and now she could be back in fellowship. She'd have to prove that, of course, but that would happen later and that would happen with the priest. So the woman fearing, oh, Jesus, immediately knowing power had gone out from him, said, who touched my clothes? I read it, but his disciples said, are you kidding me, Lord? Well, that's not exactly the words they use. They say, you see the multitude thronging you and you say, who touched me? Everybody's touching you. They're trying to get close to you. It's like if I could just touch him just to say, I touched him. They didn't all need something from him, but they all wanted to get next to him. And so in any case, it, it, it just, his disciples say, you see the multitude thronging you, you say, who touched me? He looked around to see who, her who had done this thing, to see her. He's looking for her. And the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him. Sounds familiar? Same position that we saw Jairus in position of humility a position of worship before him and told him the whole truth all this is so good she's saying Lord I've been suffering for 12 years and I've spent everything I have and I've trusted and no one's been able to help me and I thought to myself and said to myself if only I can touch his garments I know I'll be healed she tells him the whole story And that means everyone is listening to the whole story. And he said, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be cleansed of your, healed of your affliction. It means both. That word affliction is strong. It's translated plague elsewhere. It's translated scourging like the scourging Jesus experienced just prior to the cross. He's describing what she'd been through as a plague and a scourging. Well, it's huge. That's all behind her and new life, fellowship, community lies ahead. Hebrews
0: 11.6 tells us without faith, it is impossible to please him for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now when we find ourselves in desperate need, pleasing the Lord is not usually the first thing that comes to our minds. We are usually totally focused on the situation. However, when we place our faith in the fact that the Lord is, and that he is capable of doing the things scripture says he can do, we ask him to meet our needs we beg him earnestly to do so. And when we do this, we're not only placing our needs into the hands of the most capable hands anywhere, we are also pleasing the Lord with our faith and we will be rewarded for that. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico and you can visit our website ccchico.com or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam.